Shall we turn to first epistle of John? Read from verse 3, chapter 1, first epistle of John, chapter 1, I'll read verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I want to look at the subject of uh, Christian fellowship. As we've read, John wrote to the disciples here, including ourselves too now, that they were to understand Christ whom they had seen, Christ whom he had met, Christ whom the apostles lived with, and Christ who ascended into heaven after that. We wanted to let them know that this Christ is whom he was declaring to them. He is the one that they had lived with. He is the one that brings saints of God to our fellowship with each other. One of the reasons was that their joy may be full. Thank God for the joy that he gives us when we come to the gospel. I always reflect and think of camp meeting as the climax of our fellowship. We're coming from many branches. I'm from Bexley in London. And we have some people from London, as you heard, in Peckham. We have from other places within the UK. And uh, we do have people that have come from all over the USA. We also have people from abroad. Southern Africa, as far as even Seoul in Asia. And what brings us together, what binds us together, is this fellowship that we have received from Christ. So we have this joy, we have this peace, we have this understanding that Christ who saved us, we're coming to worship him, and we're coming to give glory to him. I want to thank God that he gave us that opportunity, even before we get to heaven. To me, this Grand Camp meeting is a taste of heaven on earth. In heaven, there will be saints from all over the world. So we, we thank God for that. We need to qualify what Christian fellowship is all about. Christian fellowship is that 
of saints. It is of those that have met Christ, those that have a covenant with him by sacrifice through his blood. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 tells us, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Salvation changes us. It brings us into the family of God. Salvation takes us from the sinful world into the fellowship with Christ Jesus. And when we have that fellowship with God as individuals, then we can go to our places of worship, wherever that may be, and we meet with people who have the same salvation and have fellowship with them. So, in other words, salvation is the binding tie. It is what holds us together. And when it's there, it makes us to understand how to communicate with each other, how to relate to each other, because we are made one by the blood of one that died for us all. Thank God this salvation is the same that people receive here is the same that I got when I was in Zimbabwe. It's the same that people got when they were in Nigeria, when some people were, you name it, I may not name all countries, but wherever you got your salvation from, it's the same Jesus that saves us. And that's what makes it easy to have fellowship, to have this sweet union, unity of fellowship with the saints of God. Salvation brings joy. It, it, it brings, it gives us mercy. It makes us to be tolerant with each other. Not in sinful ways, but just being merciful to each other. We are not the same. But the salvation is the same. So we, 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 we tolerate each other through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that he has given us, and we, we love each other. And as God extended mercy to us, we are merciful to each other. Um, we, we are all work in progress. And we're looking unto that great day of perfection when we'll be taken up from this world to be with Christ forever. And what binds us? Amos actually asked in Amos 3, chapter 3, verse 3. It says something like, Can two walk together except they be agreed? 
Thank God that sanctification makes us one. We have the same doctrines that we believe. And thank God that when we believe those same doctrines, we think the same. We do things the same. Regardless of where we are. Because God helps us to do that. We go to First John chapter 1. I want to read verses 5 to 7. This is the message which we had of him. And declare unto you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There are some powerful statements within that verse. Those verses that we've just read. Our fellowship primarily is with God. Through Jesus Christ, his son. And it says, if, if we walk in darkness, that's a lie. So we examine ourselves. When we talk of this power of salvation that makes us to live above sin, we know it because the Bible says, Behold, all things are become new. So I can't live in the past where I was before God saved me and claimed to be saved. The works of salvation are known. We go to Galatians 5, 22 to 23. I'm not going to uh, read that, but it tells us of the fruit of the Spirit. What people bear or what we produce as a result of my salvation, as a result of your salvation, we have fruits that we produce. And God expects us that when we produce good fruit, we live right with others. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I like that this Christian fellowship it starts in the home. It starts in the home, then from home, it goes to the church. From the church, it goes out to the wider community. At home, when we are saved from our life of sin, the husband loves the wife. 
That's what the Bible enjoins us to do from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through to 30. I'm not going to read that. But the, the Bible enjoins the husband to have sacrificial love for his family. And that's what God expects me to do to my wife. And when we have that relationship with each other that pleases God, it radiates out of our family to those around us. The same thing God asks on the same scriptures that I have quoted, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 to 30, God asks women to submit to their husband out of love. When that happens, wife taking her position, the husband his position, children taking their position. In Ephesians uh, 6, 1 to 2, children are admonished to uh, obey their parents and honor them in the Lord. So if this fellowship exists in a family where children are obedient to their parents, honoring them, the mother and the father united in faith, praising God together, you find that fellowship extends to the church. It extends to the church. And when it extends to the church, what a grand church that will be. When my family comes in, your family comes in, and we, we fellowship together in that mode of sweet fellowship coming from different families to be united, that, that will be a great fellowship yeah. in a church. Yeah. So, want to look more closely to the fellowship that we have in the church. Because when we come to church, God expects all that come to church to have fellowship with one another. In the church, there is God's order. We have the ministry that leads the fellowship. And then we have the saints of God that come to be partakers of what the ministry feeds them with. And the ministry, we are told, we're supposed to have good fellowship with the ministry. I'm expected to do that as all of us are. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is profitable for you. Well, that's a mystery. It is profitable for me, as it is for all of us here, that we obey them, that have rule over us, submitting to them. You know, like this word uh, submission, it comes voluntarily. It's not something that we are forced to. We, we volunteer our submission to our leadership. 
And when we do that, God blesses us for doing so. He also blesses the ministry that upholds the principles of the word of God and teaches the pure word of God in its entirety to the congregation. That's what the ministers are expected to do. We are told in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace amongst yourselves. These are ingredients to good fellowship within a church. Church leaders or the ministry is accountable to God. The congregation members are expected to submit to their leaders. When that happens, the fellowship that comes out of it is sweet. It is beautiful. It is something that the Word of God actually says, when sinners, those that come from outside, find that kind of unity, oneness, people having this fellowship of... have. They, they, they will be drawn to Christ. So we want, by the grace of God, to understand these things. Leaders pray for us. Leaders counsel us. Leaders also need that fellowship with everybody else. Um, there are others who probably have what I would call the I know it all attitude. It comes from pride. Ministers alike, I'm a minister, it doesn't mean to say I know everything. The same for saints of God, we are all gifted in different ways. So we, 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 we bring our gifts together to the glory of God. And God, God, God appreciates that. I can't be everything as a minister. But, but we, we have different gifts that make up the, the body of Christ, that we have good fellowship with each other. So pride is not helpful for any of us. We pray that God will give us teachable hearts, a teachable spirit for the spirit of the prophets are subject one to another. Also, parents are expected to teach their children to obey elders and ministers. We don't teach them whilst they're young. They won't know it as they grow, when, when they're of age. So it is important that we tell them the beauty of respecting the ministry. Because the, here is how, how it works. If I don't teach my children to respect the ministry, 
then they, they, they'll have a problem. There'll come a time when they need advice from ministers. I'm not there all the time for them. There will come a time when they will go and live somewhere else, away from where I'm living. If I have told them that you don't listen to them, then that, that, that would be something else. Ministers are given to us by God. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. And God gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. Take note of this. Why did God give us these workers, or these ministers, or these pastors, evangelists, for the perfecting of saints? for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's why we are here, to learn so that we grow as we keep learning, until the last day that God calls us home, yeah. or until Jesus comes, we continue to learn. Yeah. And ministers have a charge. They are expected, or workers are expected, to live an exemplary life for the congregation. Members are to be ab should be able to submit without questioning. My life should be an example to those that follow me. So that, that, that's an expectation. So there, there is a greater responsibility that is laid upon those that work for Christ. For they are supposed to be good examples. Titus 2, 7 to 8. actually says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We want those that do not believe in the word of God to see us as lights of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And God will bless us when we do that. Yeah. We're supposed to have uh, a good relationship amongst ourselves as saints of God. God wants unity to exist between him and his creation. It is Satan that destroyed the fellowship in the Garden of Eden with his creation. And Satan will permit unity to exist if it's against God. 
Remember what happened to the Tower of Babel? Of Babel? People made up to say, let's build a tower in pride to see how they can reach to God. And what God did is send down confusion. That's why we speak many languages today. God, God did that for a reason. Because people had united against him in pride. But thank God that God reversed that. Right. On the great day of Pentecost, right. when the Spirit of God came down, uh, the power of God came down, and it was evidenced with those disciples in the upper room speaking many languages. Thank God for the unity that he gives the saints of God. When we have the same salvation, when we have the same sanctification. You know, let, let's just read from John seventeen twenty one, just to emphasize the point that, yes, we are saved from sin, but sanctification removes what caused us to sin in the first place. It removes the Adamic nature of sin. And it gives us peace within. John seventeen twenty one, And this is what sanctification does to us. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So oneness is not worked up. And it's something that is brought down into our hearts by God himself. Uh, there, there are many places where people gather around and, uh, and join each other or tell each other that they are supposed to be united. But thank God that our unity in Christ descends from God himself. And it's in every heart that believes and when that happens, it's just automatic. Uh, you know, when, when we greet each other here, I marvel at times. It, it, it's just automatic. You, you know, when someone has the love of God in them, you tell it. Their handshake tells they have the love of God in them. Glory be to God. So we endeavor, we strive for unity to prevail amongst us. It was Paul who wrote in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through to 6, says something like, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is, let's take note of this, that there is one body, there is one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. If the same spirit of God is in me as is in you, God will make us a perfect one. Yeah. 
That's why the psalmist said something like this in 133 of Psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to, to dwell together in unity. It, it, it is marvelous. It is beautiful. It is good. No, when God says something is good, he says that during creation, after he did whatever he did first day, second day, he would conclude by saying, it is good. So behold how good and how pleasant it is for people to dwell together in unity. But the enemy of our soul fights with tooth and nail. He doesn't want it. So we strive to be united. We strive to remain in good fellowship with each other. And what do we do when our unity is threatened as individuals? When fellowship is threatened as individuals? I would say we have in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, what I would call building blocks or rebuilding blocks for our unity. It's Jesus himself who says something like this. Moreover, if thy, bro thy brother trespass against thee, step one, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Many times we jump that step. But may God help us as we are here to learn that we learn. Go and meet that brother, that sister alone. And tell them what they did to you. That way, it will solve. No one else will know about it anyway. If he shall hear thee, I'm continuing, thou hast gained thy brother or thy sister. But if he will not hear thee, suppose it happens. You know, we, we have different understanding of different situations. That's okay. And God knows that. That's why he is saying here, that may happen. But when that happens, take with thee one or two more that are, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. At times, some people will make us to see what we don't see. So it's good to take faithful brethren and discuss the matter. That's the second step. If it's resolved, let it end there. Yeah. And our fellowship will continue. Yeah. Step number three. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. Well, amongst you as colleagues, it has failed to work. Take it to the church. That's to the ministry. But it's sad. Then after the third step, Jesus actually says, If he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. I don't think any one of us would want to get there. We, we, we don't want to get there. We would rather all get most of the things resolved between step one and two. And God will help us to do so. So those uh, sequence of steps are important to follow all the time. Now, Peter, in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, came to Jesus and asked, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
till seven times, Jesus said unto him, I, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. The challenge here is there is nothing that anyone can do under the sun that they cannot be forgiven of. It, it, it is God's decree. We have to do it. It is a must. I think what we should pray for is the grace to be able to forgive. Yeah. And one of the things that binds us together as a church is encouraging the spiritually, the spiritually weak. Those that have issues. Those that need to be lifted up. People don't remain there. Things come our way different times. There are times when we are low, and I need somebody to lift me up. There are times when you may be low, you need someone to lift you up. So spiritual weakness can be relative in the sense that you don't remain there all the time. But we need to lean heavily on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to avoid making the situation worse. Some people don't want to be known that they are low. They will be. Or things are not going on okay, but uh, how we respond to people in their weaknesses may make things worse or better. So God needs to... It's the Spirit of God that will help us here. So we need to have compassion and a, and a caring concern for the spiritually weak. Provide help when necessary. Provision of needs when necessary. At times they just want someone to listen to them. It solves many of the anxieties that people may have. Just someone to listen to. And when you listen to them and say, I'll pray for you, that, that, that lifts them up. The Lord will help us and give us a spirit to be able to help others who are spiritually weak. But what we should avoid is to say it is spiritual weakness to find fault with holiness. That's not spiritual weakness. It is not spiritual weakness to be critical of the church the doctrines, the policies, that no, that's no spiritual weakness. So a, a critical spirit is not spiritual weakness. Because it comes from pride. And pride takes one out of fellowship with the saints of God. Yes, there is constructive criticism, which helps to keep the work progressing. But constructive criticism comes out of pure hearts. And when it comes, you know it. But if it's the other way around again, the Spirit of God tells us, you know it. Now this is not constructive criticism. But may, may God help us because we want to understand those things that binds us together and give us sweet fellowship. Again, we avoid fighting back or retaliating when things go wrong. The Bible tells us to bless them that curse you and do good to them 
that despitefully use you. So we pray for them. And those that treat us badly. Because it could be my perception that they've treated me badly, yet they mean well, but we are supposed to uh, be able to endure and not to recompense. Uh, actually, let's go to Romans chapter 12, 17 and 18. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Again, this same notion or the same advice is repeated in Hebrews 12:13. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So may God give us that spirit that we don't retaliate when things go wrong or when people do bad things to us. Humility pays. Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, that's what we need. And I believe God will bless us as we do that. So we should be, Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 10. I'll read, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. This is what humility does. But pride puts itself first. Actually, James says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Matthew 23, 10, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. That's what we need. To conclude, fellowship is good. Fellowship is sweet. And everybody needs it. But these reminders that we've got from the Word of God tell us that it is important for us to practice what we learn and then God will bless us. We want to have more of this fellowship as the camp meeting progresses and God will continue to bless us. If you outside the fellowship, I would encourage you, you can come. These altars here, and you can be saved from your life of sin, and you can be a member of the family of God by way of salvation. You can also be sanctified, holy, and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. God is here and more than ready to do that for each and every one of us. As we sing our closing song, 501, the altars are open.